Please open your Bibles to Romans 8 for our scripture reading. We'll begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 11. God's word says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the flesh, excuse me, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind in the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. God's spirit works in the lives of God's children guiding and enabling us to fulfill aspects of God's revealed will as recorded in God's Word. God's Spirit works in the lives of God's children, guiding and enabling us to fulfill aspects of God's revealed will as recorded in God's Word. The Spirit of God produces fruit, And obedience from within believers produces obedience within believers because God has made us new creatures. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is what God has done. This newness is seen in our lives and how God actively performs His will within us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do or perform of His good pleasure. He works in us to do and to desire. To do with our hands, to desire with our minds. Who's doing that work? God is doing that work. God is alive. He is active. He is working. And He's working in believers. 
the last time we were studying Romans chapter 8 together, which was two weeks ago, we discussed that we walk, when we walk according to the Spirit, the righteous requirements of the law are being fulfilled in us. Uh, This morning, we will see who we are, who we are impacts everything that we do. That's what we're going to recognize from verses 5 through 8. Who we are impacts everything we do. God's at work in us, accomplishing His will as we walk in the power of the Spirit. And in verses 5 through 8 of Romans chapter 8, it really comes out of who we are, what God has made us to be. What we do uh, comes far short of God's glory. Romans 3. 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What he does perfectly fulfills his purposes. And he is at work in us. Let's take a look at our text, beginning in verse 1, but our text this morning is verses 5 through 8. Verse 1, therefore, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the law of God or God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In verses 5-8, through Paul will address the devastating impact of not being born again. Paul is going to tell us the devastating impact of not being born again, not being in the Spirit. He gives us six areas that are impacted by not being born again. Now let's see something in verse 5 before we dive into those six impacts. Verse 5 is very important to understanding verses 5-8. through It starts with a 4. For those who live according to the flesh. It literally reads, if you were to read this literally, it reads, those for according to the flesh. What does it say? Are. There's a major difference between living and are. Now, I understand why the translators pulled living from the end of verse 4. Verse 4 says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we've got that idea of walk. The, the term in the Greek is peripateo. It's the idea of continuously living in a certain way. But as you get to verse 5, he starts to explain how that works out. And he says, For those according to the flesh are... And then he says, 
They set their mind on the things of the flesh. And those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So I understand why they pull the walking concept into verse 5 and use the word living, but that's not what the text says. What the text actually says, it uses the, the Greek term antas. Antas is a form of the, of the term amy. Now, you don't know, what is Amy? Why are you telling me about Amy? Are you talking about your wife again? No. No. Amy is a, is a verb of being. And I'll remind you of a very specific usage of Amy that you will, you'll bring to mind easily. Jesus is in the garden with His disciples. And the prisoners come in. And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember what Jesus said? I am He. And he uses the Greek expression, ego, me. I am. I am. It's a verb of being. And the way that Paul starts to describe to us the reason why we walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh is because of who we are in Christ. For those who are, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who are, according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is what we do because it is who we are. Who we are impacts everything that we do. This passage that we'll study this morning is not a passage about doing. It's a passage about being. I can't make myself be in the flesh or in the Spirit. Only God can do that. I can know whether I'm in the flesh or in the Spirit because I can know whether God has redeemed me or not. Those who are in the Spirit have great confidence. Why? Because I've been set free from the law of sin and death. I have no condemnation hanging over me. Later on in this passage, he's going to talk about the fact that by the Spirit we'll put to death the deeds of the body. That we'll be led by the Spirit. That we are the sons of God. That we'll cry out, Abba, Father. That we, we're joint heirs with Christ. That no matter what we're experiencing in this life, the, the difficulties, the turmoil, the, the things that, that really feel like suffering are all worth it. Why are they worth it? Because we understand that God is working something that is incomparable. It's way better. The sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the things that God is doing, with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We have great confidence because of who we are. So this passage, as with all the implications of duty, is not about duty. It's about what God has made us. We have to be recognizing that God has made us His own. This passage is about being. And there are certain implications about the way we live, but the passage is about God's work in us. Paul is not issuing commands. He is demonstrating the vast difference between the Spirit's work and our flesh's work. Vast difference. It is through seeing the working of the Spirit that the believer gains confidence that we have been delivered from condemnation. The Holy Spirit, listen carefully to this, the Holy Spirit will not allow a believer 
to feel comfortable while living their lives according to the flesh. The Holy Spirit will not allow believers to feel comfortable living our lives according to the flesh. There will be that constant echo in our minds. This is not the way. This is not the way. This is not who God redeemed you to be. This is not what redemption is. The Spirit uses the Word and brings to our minds what we know from the Scriptures about what life is. For our immediate study this morning of verses 5-8, through we'll see six areas that are impacted by not being born again. First of all, the believer's affections. Excuse me, the unbeliever's affections. We're only talking this morning about the negative side because that's the emphasis in verses 5-8 through eight, is to show the negative and then he leads us to the positive. Mixed in the, all along the way, there are the, the opposite sides. We, don't, we, we are not according, setting our minds according to the flesh, but we are setting our minds according to the Spirit. There's, there's the contrast there, but it's mostly in these first few verses, 5-8, through eight, about the negative side and the impact that is ours for being, that is, a person's for not being in the Spirit. First thing that is impacted is his affections. It says in verse 5, for those who live or are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. The word there is phreneo in the Greek. It's the way that we think. And we think in this text according to who we are. We think according to who we are. We cannot expect an unbeliever to value the things of the Lord. Even as believers who are constantly needing to set aside earthly things, right? Which is why the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, set your minds on things above and not on things of the earth. So even as believers, those who are according to the the Spirit, those who have been made alive, those who have the Spirit dwelling in us, we're even instructed, set your minds. Place your minds on things above. Think about these kinds of things because we have a a tendency to see what's in front of our eyes and, and what's around us. We're impacted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. These things all impact us. And so God tells us, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. And the Apostle John says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. When our minds are being distracted by merely earthly things, God's Spirit sends us reminders that our thinking is off-based. As we get in the Word of God, God refocuses our attention. As we gather together to worship the Lord, we're recalibrated. As we have fellowship one with another, We help one another to realign our direction where they should be. So God has given us ways to have our minds set in the right direction. We can think about the things that are right. We we see in God's Word the things that are right. We gather together to worship the Lord and we come alongside one another to refocus our attention. These things are all 
helpful to, to draw our attention, to set our minds aright. But when a person does not have the Spirit of God, there's no real recalibration. How do they focus on the things that are above? They don't have the Spirit. Gathering in a worship service doesn't really get the job done for them. Coming along, a Christian coming alongside them does, doesn't, doesn't get them to where they need to be. But God, through worship service, God, through someone coming alongside of them, can take them from spiritual death to spiritual life. And when He does, the Spirit dwells in them. And when the Spirit dwells in them, they're alive. And when they're alive, the Spirit then can quicken their minds so they think the things that are above, not the things that are earthly. This world for the unbeliever is home. This life for the unbeliever is what's important to them. They have to get what they can while they can. God has not given them a taste for the true treasure of who He is. But believer, remember that day that you saw yourself, the sinner that you are? You remember when you turned from your sin and you received from God salvation? Do you remember that day? Do you remember that the Bible tells you that He gave you a down payment? What is that down payment? His Spirit. He gave us the earnest, the down payment. What does that mean? I I have a, a foretaste of glory dwelling within me. And Paul is talking about this in Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation. Why? You've been set free. How? Christ Jesus has set you free. God has done, verse 3, what the law couldn't do because you were weak. How did He do it? By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as a sin offering, He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us as we walk in the power of the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And and the reason that that happens is because we have been made alive and we've been... uh, We are according to the Spirit and so we can set our minds on the things of the Spirit. But there are those that, that have not been set free. There are those who are still weakened by the flesh. And there are those that can only set their minds on the things of the flesh because it's who they are. They, they don't have that foretaste. Their affections are, are earthly. That's the first impact of not being born again. Earthly affections instead of heavenly affections. There's a second impact that this text gives us. Their destiny. Their destiny. Look at verse 5 again. Uh, Verse 6 now, excuse me. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Now I'm going to put some Greek words on the screen for you. Enjoy. Just to give you the word order, the first little word there is the. Gar is for. Phronema is mind. And then taste sarkos is of the flesh. And then thanatos, death. For the mind of the flesh, death. The reason I put it up there is not for any other reason than to see the impact of these words. The mind of the flesh, death. You can supply is. Because it's in the nominative case, meaning it's the subject. The mind of the flesh, death. It's called a predicate nominative. The mind of the flesh, death. Setting the mind in the flesh, 
death. A mindset of the flesh. This is who you are as an unbeliever. Your mindset is the flesh as an unbeliever. And the result of having a mindset of the flesh is death. You see the contrast he's drawing here? God's Spirit has come to work in you. In you. In you. In you. Why? Because you are of the Spirit. But there are those that are on the outside. They are not of the Spirit. They're of the flesh. And what is working in them? Death is working in them. This does not bring us joy. Friends, the mindset of the flesh being death is the opposite of how this chapter begins. How does the chapter begin? There is therefore now no condemnation. For who? Everybody. Everybody goes to heaven. All dogs go to heaven. All people go to heaven. No. That's not true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We must be united to Christ or our destiny is a destiny of death. When we're born again, we have life. When we're not born again, and thus our mind never rises above the earthly, fleshly level, we are destined to experience the full results of our sin. James says that sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Paul said earlier in this letter, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Not being born again condemns a person to sin's penalty. Eternal death. That's the second impact of not being born again. The first one, their affections are merely earthly. The second, their destiny is un- rather than heavenly, it's the lake of fire, it's death. There's a third impact of not being born again that this text gives us. We see that in verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. The literal reading would be because the mind of the flesh hostile to God. So he's telling us in, in verse 5 that we are a certain way. The reason we set our minds on the things of the Spirit is because we are of the Spirit. The reason that another group does not set their minds on the things of the Spirit because they are of the flesh or they set their minds on the things of the flesh. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life. The reason now that this is a, a real problem is the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God. Tell me you're observing that this is the way our society is. This doesn't bring us joy to acknowledge that. It's, it's with great sorrow that I say that our country is hostile to God. It's a sad, sad place. James says it this way, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world does what? Makes himself an enemy of God. You see that amazing contrast? Friend of the world, enemy with God. It, you can't be both. You can't say, yeah, oh, I love God. I'm just going to hang out over here for a while. Uh, someday I'll care about the things of the Spirit. Someday I'll, 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 prepare, I'll prepare for the afterlife. Someday I'll deal with it. It doesn't work that way. If you are of the Spirit, 
Your mind is on the things of the Spirit. That doesn't mean at every moment. We're constantly having to be recalibrated. We, we recognize our sin. We confess our sin. Why? Because the Spirit has told us that's not the way to go. Don't you love it when the, the Lord points things out to you? I'm not telling you that I feel happy that I did the wrong thing. I'm very unhappy about my sinfulness. But I confess my sin. And I know He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And so instead of walking in darkness, I walk in the light as He is in the light and I have fellowship with Him. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses me from all unrighteousness. This is God's work, friends. I don't want to be on the outside. In uh, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says it like this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their, they glory in their shame with minds, what does it say? Set on earthly things. They're, they're loyal not to God. What are they loyal to? Self. Loyal to self. I, I, this is the way I want to go. This is what I think is best for me. My, that's your way. That's good for you. This is my way. This is what's good for me. You live your life. I'll live my life. Que sera, sera. I'll be fine. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. Don't judge me. I won't judge you. You hear all those things. Of course, they don't actually believe that they're not going to judge you. Uh, nonetheless, it's another matter altogether. When a person places their loyalty in the things of this life, what is the reason for it? Why does a person place their loyalty in the things of this life? I think it's because they think that they will be satisfied that this world and their pursuits have a way of satisfying the longings of their heart. But you and I have learned from our study of Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in our hearts. God has placed eternity in our hearts. And the only thing that can fill eternity is an infinite, inexhaustible God. So they'll try this and they'll try that. None of it will last as satisfying. Because there's only one thing that will truly satisfy us. It's an eternal, inexhaustible, infinite God. He will fill that eternity that He has placed in our hearts. But those that are not born again, they don't have a, a loyalty for that because they don't have a taste for that. They haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? There is nothing in this world like God's goodness. There is nothing like His grace. It is unique. An unbeliever's affections are impacted by unbelief. An unbeliever's destiny is impacted by unbelief. And his loyalty is impacted by unbelief. But what is also impacted that we also see in verse 7 is his obedience. Look at verse 7 again. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. 
It does not submit to God's law. Again, I'll give you the literal reading of this just so you have the flavor. For the law of God, it does not submit to. And I want you to pay attention to the wording there. For the law of God, it does not submit to. The subject, the law of God, is the, that's the idea. But what's the it? Because you're not an it, and your neighbor's not an it. What is the it? The mind set on the flesh. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. And it, it that, that mindset of the flesh, cannot obey God. It does not submit to God, is the wording. It does not submit to God. It's the mindset of the flesh. This is what we've been seeing from the beginning. Ah, uh, no. Ah, uh, no. You, you want to tell me that? No. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Everything's good. Everything's perfect. No sin. Serpent comes along. Starts to talk to them. Has God said, or more specifically to the wording, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree, of any tree in the garden? Did God say that? No. He didn't say don't eat of any of the trees in the garden. The one tree that's in the midst of the garden, don't eat it. Well, Eve kind of messed that up. Well, we're not supposed to eat it, not even touch it. I don't know if Adam messed it up before she did or what the deal is. You can make all kinds of uh, assumptions, but we only have what the, the text says. All I know is this. God says don't do it. Satan says you should do it anyway because he's really just keeping you from the best thing. And Eve says, oh, it is good for food. It is to be desired. I will eat it. And not only will I eat it, I'm going to give it to my husband also, and he will eat it will not submit to the law of God. The mindset in the flesh will not submit to the law of God. Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. It means to take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together. What are they taking counsel together about? Against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. No! No, I will not have you rule over me. No, I will not submit to the rule of God. No, I will not submit to the law of God. This is the mind set on the flesh. His obedience is drastically impacted. But I want you to think about the the contrast to this. Those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit because we are, are according to the Spirit. I want to remind you of the words of the Apostle John from 1 John chapter 5. Listen to the words. They'll be on the screen. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments, will you read it with me? Are not burdensome. Alright, so let's, let's just take just a moment, take a breath. Does this mean that it's easy for us always to do all of the things in the commandments? It's not what he's saying. He's talking about those that are the children of God. Children of God want to obey God. He's not placing on us some burden that we don't want to endure. I want to do what God has told me to do. I want to love you. I want to love my neighbor. I want to love the guy that cuts me off. I want to love the guy that flips me off. 
I want to love the guy that tries to, to steal something from me. I want to love the people that try to um, distort law to make things that should be evil into something that's good and okay. I want to love them. It's not easy. But I want to. The burdensome, the grievousness is, no, I don't, I don't like that. I'm not doing that. That's the unbeliever's mindset is, no, you're not going to rule over me. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm gonna think, what I think is right is what, the way I'm going. For the believer, we say, God, whether I like it or not, whether I feel it or not, what you say is what I want. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want? Because if you don't, your mind is set on the flesh. And if your mind is set on the flesh, that's death. If your mind is set on the flesh that's death, it means you're not in the spirit, but you're in the flesh. And if that's the case, the next part of Romans chapter 8 is also true. If that's true about you, that would, the next part is also true about you. The end of verse 7 speaks about his ability. It says, For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Indeed, it cannot. We've got these funny Greek letters up there again. I just wanted to give you some little taste of it. Ude gardunitai. It's for it is not even able to do it. It's not even able to do it. This guy, because he's of the flesh, he doesn't love God. He doesn't set his mind on the things of the Spirit. He doesn't have life and peace. He's not been set free. He's, he has condemnation hanging over him. He's hostile to God. He does not submit to the law of God. And even if he wanted to, he couldn't. Just can't. You plain can't do it. Hey, I think I've read about this before. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2? You were what? Dead! Dead in trespasses and sins. The only reason you're not dead in your trespasses and sins is verse 4 comes along and it says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, He sent His Son and He redeemed a person like me who would be stand exactly in the same condition of this person He's talking about. I, 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 re, I refuse. I refuse to submit to God. I'm hostile to God. The, the law of God doesn't matter to me. I won't surrender to it. I cannot until God intervenes. Your unsaved neighbor, he has an absolute, utter inability to obey God. He's not going to have a taste for the things that are eternal, the things that are heavenly. He's not going to have a taste for truly worshiping God. He can't. He can't. This passage that we're talking about, I've said it a couple times, I'm going to say it again. This is a passage about being not a passage about doing. The unbeliever cannot submit to God's law. Everything within them fights against it. It doesn't necessarily manifest itself the same from one person to the other. Some out and out rebel, right? Some people are just indifferent. Others try to keep the law but are continually confronted with their failure, like Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 6 speaks about this as slavery. Unbelievers are slaves to sin. An unbeliever is impacted in his affections, his dis, uh, destiny, his loyalty, his obedience, his ability, and finally, in his worship. He's impacted in his worship. Verse 8. 
those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. Well, Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Why? Because they don't have faith. Because they are not alive by the Spirit. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. Dead. There is uh, only one way to correct this problem. There's only one way to correct this problem of not being able to please God. It's when we come to God in faith. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. When we come to God in faith, we see our sin, we turn from our sin, we see God's provision. What is His provision? It's His Son. It's His Son. When a person turns from their sin and turns to Jesus Christ as Savior, God credits that person with His righteousness. There's a beautiful scene that we're, we're in in Matthew chapter 17. I wish that I had been there to see it. Take a look beginning at verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John, His brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them. And His face, Jesus' face, shone like the sun, and His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am. What does it say? Well pleased. Listen to Him. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. You, you just picture this scene. Can you imagine being James or Peter or John? You, you've been following the Lord Jesus. You've been seeing all the things He's been teaching and the things He's been doing. You go up this mountain and He's transfigured before you. He's shining as the sun. His clothes are radiant. Moses and, and Elijah are there. Hey, I'll build a lean-to. I've got it. I'll make a teepee for them. This will be great. And then a glorious sight and sound furthers this. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The mindset in the flesh cannot please God. It's only by faith that we can please God. The Lord Jesus, in every way, shape, and form, pleased the Father. He is pleasing to Him. And the way that you and I become pleasing to God is we need to be united to Jesus Christ. His righteousness, His faithfulness, His truth are credited to us. And we stand in that position of being the one in whom God is well pleased. This is the only solution. You can't claw your way to it. You can't pray your way to it. You can't read your Bible enough to do it. You can't go to church enough to do it. You can't do enough good deeds to do it. You can't give enough money to do it. There's nothing you can do 
but trust God. Your sin separates you from God. Your sin and mine warrants eternal punishment. Jesus stood in our place, died for the punishment of our sin. He condemned sin in his flesh. As a sin offering he came. God sent him to do what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. When we come to Jesus in faith, we become fully pleasing to God and our worship is pure. Romans chapter 8, verses 5-8 through is not a passage about doing, it's a passage about being. And I plead with you today, be reconciled to God. God can make you what you are not. God can make you what you are not. Remember, verse 5 starts off by saying, uh, the one who is living according to the flesh sets his mind on the things of the flesh. But remember, the living is just supplied. It's the ones who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. The ones that are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What, what, is, what is my job? I need for God to do what me, weakened by the flesh, could not do. I need God to make me alive. I need Him to make me one who's according to the Spirit, not one who's according to the flesh. This is God's work. He can give you His Spirit who will produce peace and life. He then will give you right affections, unflinching loyalty, wholehearted obedience, the ability to please God, He will give you eternal life. This is what God does. Let's pray together. Father, You know what's needed in each one of, the, one of us this morning. You know what believers need to do this morning. You know that we need to set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. And You know, Father, who, who does not yet know You. Father, I pray that in this moment, as we pause, that You would call unbelievers to turn from their sin and to call them to believe on Your Son. We believe You when You tell us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that You'd save sinners this morning. And Father, I pray for each one of us who know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, who are according to the Spirit. Father, demonstrate that by constantly reminding us to set our affections on the things of the Spirit, not to get caught up in the cares of this life that produce consternation, uncertainty, and potentially anxiety. But help us, Father, instead to set our feet on a rock. To look at those things that are immovable. And to give ourselves fully to You. Help us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Help us to know that our labor is not in vain for You. Accomplish Your will in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.